This is the Good Judge Men Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to the Good Judgment Podcast. This is Wade Padgett from Superior Court Judge of the Augusta, Georgia Judicial Circuit. And I'm Tane Kell from the Cobb Judicial Circuit. And we are here on May 3rd, 2019 at the awesome University of Georgia podcast studio within the law library to record, <laughs> to record the Good Judgment podcast. If you ever need to contact us, please do so through the goodjudgepod at gmail.com, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. I really wish we could take a break for our sponsors right here, but we don't have any. So we, It's just a matter of time, Wade. Yeah, I'm sure. So, Tane, why don't you tell everybody what our topic today is? Sure. We're, uh, we're going to do a podcast on attorney's fees. And one of the reasons that we wanted to do this podcast is that, unfortunately, fee awards are frequently reversed because of our failure to cite statutes and our failure to make the appropriate findings of fact. So we're going to talk about that today. So um, the American system of justice started what was called the American rule, which as it relates to attorney fees, which basically says you pick your lawyer, you pay your lawyer. And the idea of fee shifting is something that came along much later, was not a part of the common law. So because the idea of awarding attorney's fees from one party to the other is in derogation of common law, it must be strictly construed against the award of those damages. So unless you have a statute that specifically authorizes the award of damages, attorney's fees, then you cannot do it. Now, this particular podcast is going to be dedicated solely to civil, and I'm using that in air quotes. I wish we could show them that, Tane. Yeah, it would work. Civil uh, attorney's fees, not domestic relations. We'll do a topic on that another day. So let's start with one of the easiest topics. Attorney's fees granted by contract. If the parties agree in their contract that there will be an arrangement for the payment of attorney's fees, then we as judges can enforce those contracts under, under basic contract law. So, Tane, let's assume that parties entered into a settlement agreement of their divorce, and by contract they say, if we have to come back, you have to pay my attorney's fees of X number of dollars. Enforceable? Well, we always have to make a judgment of reasonability with respect to attorney's fees. But if the parties have agreed to that uh, amount as a reasonable amount, then I think you can uh, use that as a presumption for for the uh, reasonableness of those fees. I'm going to let you behind the the, the curtain a little bit. This is our multiple, I don't know, fourth or fifth podcast we've recorded today. (laughs) Is reasonability of the award a word? Reasonableness? There you go. Reasonableness. Very nice. Um, make the parties identify for you the code section that they are operating under when they want an award of attorney's fees. We've talked about it in another podcast, but sometimes the people who are asking for the attorney's fees, the lawyers, fail to make the appropriate findings in the proposed orders they submit to the judge, don't they, Tank? Yeah, they do. And besides, it's really fun to ask them what statute they're asking for the fees under because normally there's a long pause. Sometimes crickets will start to chirp, and there's usually a deer in the headlights look to. Now, for our brothers and sisters on the bench, here is a little secret. We have a chart for judges. Anybody can have it, but we have a chart that has code section and required elements that they can have merely for the asking. In fact, it is currently posted on sideboronline.org. So it is available right now if they want it that they can stick in their trial notebook. So when they ask the question... And they don't get some question back like, I don't know, Judge, what, what code section do you think it ought to be? 
<laughs> they can answer the question back. And remember, you can always email us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for that information. Absolutely. So just because a party is found in contempt, Judge Kell, just because a party, they are in contempt, they are being complete jerks, you can award attorney's fees for their absolute just because they're in contempt, correct? That is not correct, Wade. Um, there's no authority that exists to award attorney's fees merely because the action is one for contempt. In fact, it, it would have to fit under one of the other categories of attorney's fees that we're going to discuss or one of the other statutes before you could award fees. So let's talk about the proof of attorney's fees. How do, you, how do parties go about proving what it is and what are the elements of proof that you must have as the judge to award attorney's fees? Now, Judge Kell, I don't know if you've had it, but but I've had lawyers that seem to really struggle. Do they have to call another lawyer? Can they do it by affidavit? Can they state it in their place? What's the law on this? Right. The law in Georgia is that an attorney may testify as to the reasonableness of his own attorney's fees and need not call another witness in order to testify as to that. They can do it if they'd like to. It is certainly permissible to do so. But an attorney is allowed to either testify or state in their place that the fees that they have charged in a case are reasonable. Now, you're going to hear us talk about the word reasonable a lot today. Because the one thing that is commonly true among all of these different statutes where attorney's fees can be awarded is that there must be in a finding, excuse me, there must be a finding by the judge that the request or the award is reasonable. That term isn't always defined as clearly as one might think, but there must be something from which you can hang your hat that those fees are reasonable reasonable in the amount of time spent, reasonable at the rate of the, the rate that was charged, reasonable in the conduct of the lawyer. There, but there must be a finding of reasonableness generally and specifically as to hours, rate, amount that you're going to have to include in every single order that you enter. So we're going to say that word a lot today. Judge Kell will say reasonability, but the rest of us will say reasonable <laughs> or reasonableness. That's exactly right. Now, you can get an award of attorney's fees in contingency contract cases um, where the lawyer has a contingency fee agreement with his or her client. To be honest with you, it is a little complicated. Just know that that's available. And if you have that situation, don't just automatically bang the gavel and say, this is a contingency fee. You can't get attorney's fees for that. Just know that we have provided you an outline for your for your access that's going to be available. You can contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We'll get you a copy. We're going to figure out a way eventually to get it posted online so you don't even have to send that email and that you can get those um, th this outline and you, can, you will know exactly what you need to do if the parties are asking for attorney's fees and contingency fee ar arrangements. If you need any of this, though, on a cassette tape or an eight-track tape, oh you're really going to have to get that from somebody else. We I can't mean, do that. Y'all, y'all have no idea. I am dealing with a Neanderthal in the sense of, of technology who is, next thing you know, we're going to be doing reel-to-reel -reel tapes in here. The sound quality is incredible. Anyway, let's go to 13611. 13611 is, an, uh, is, a, is a statute that is misunderstood sometimes. It allows an award of attorney's fees for bad faith, but it's not what everybody perceives, is it, Judge Kell? No, it's not. It is 
bad faith in the underlying transaction, not in how you acted during the litigation. That's a whole nother code section. Exactly. So whenever you're considering a motion for fees under OCGA section 13-6-11, which is that bad faith statute, you have to remember that what you analyze with regard to that bad faith stops at the time the action is filed. And it's only available to the plaintiff. Exactly. Or the defendant in counterclaim, which what some people call plaintiff in counterclaim. But, but really, this is just available to plaintiffs. And it's really bad faith in the thing that caused us to have litigation. The party claiming fees under 13611 has the burden of proof and must segregate out the hours that are recoverable from those hours that are not recoverable. So in other words, um, simply saying this is how much I've spent uh, litigating this entire action is going to be insufficient to prove attorney's fees under 13611. The party is going to have to prevail. Um, It doesn't specifically say that in the statute, but it can't be bad faith if you lose. So you, you couldn't have been acting in bad faith in the underlying transaction and not recover in your lawsuit. So you're going to have to, the plaintiff is going to have to prevail. You also need to understand that under 13611, that statute does not create a separate cause of action. It is a request for attorney's fees um, in the underlying claim or in the underlying action. And although the statute doesn't specifically require the plaintiff to prevail on its claims, as Wade was saying, the applicable decisions have repeatedly said that an award of attorney's fees but no other damages or affirmative relief is illegal and void and not merely erroneous and voidable. So in other words, if you prevail in an action, I'm sorry, if you do not prevail in an action or you don't get any damages in the action, you can't also recover for attorney's fees. Right. Because the whole idea of the statute is that you acted in bad faith. And if you can't prove the other party acted in bad faith, in other words, you don't win, then there's no way for you to recover attorney's fees. Now, bad attorney's fees under 13611 cannot be awarded merely because of negligence or an honest disagreement as to one's rights and responsibilities. Bad faith requires what the words, the phrases that have been used are sinister motive or interested outcome. Things where people are using malicious intent as opposed to bad judgment or mere negligence. And if bad faith is not an issue, then the attorney's fees cannot be awarded under 13611. That seems relatively obvious, but unfortunately, people get 13611 and 91514 confused a lot. Now, and judges get it confused as well. We do. To be fair, and 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 Judge Kill, we're going to address this in a minute. Why don't you tell everybody 91514 is 91514is the statute that allows for um, attorneys to be collected in circumstances where um, there's been bad faith in the prosecution of the action itself. Okay. So in other words, if you've been a bad guy with respect to um, how you have conducted uh, claims in the action itself, you've made bad faith claims, you've made a frivolous claim, uh, you've continued to expand the litigation beyond the bounds that it should have uh, uh, been expanded to, or something along those lines, 91514 would give you the opportunity to recover under that statute. Correct. Now, but, let's go back to finish up 13611. You cannot give 13611 attorney's fees as a part of summary judgment, a jury or a finder of fact, if there's a bench trial. 
a jury must make that determination. You cannot award 13611 attorney's fees as a matter of summary judgment. You could rule that they don't get 13611 as a matter of summary judgment, but you can't grant 13611 attorney's fees as a matter of summary judgment. One other important point also, Wade, is that even an award of nominal damages on the underlying claims could support an award of attorney's fees under 13611. As we said, some damages have to be recovered, but just because those damages are nominal doesn't mean you can't recover fees. Courts have frequently upheld fee awards in excess of the amount of damages where those fees were deemed to be reasonable. Absolutely, because there's some controversies where you're right, but you've got to pay a lawyer and paying the lawyer more than what's at stake is one of those realities that people face all the time. Now let's talk about making an award under 13611. And again, we're going to have these outlines online for you if you need them. Again, there must be a finding of reasonableness of that, of those attorney's fees. The trial court must also consider whether there are other statutes which allow for an award of such fees. In other words, in a case where the insurer can be found liable for attorney's fees for bad faith refusing to, pl- to pay a claim. We just happen to know that's 33-4-6. But in, in that case, you would have to award under 33-4-6, not the general bad faith of 13-6-11. It may be a distinction without a difference, but on appeal, the appellate courts have said if there is a specific statute rather than the general statute, dealing with bad faith in the underlying transaction, you've got to use the more basic one. So that that's basically our, our coverage of 13.611. Let's turn our attention to 9.15.14, the litigation abuse, the replacement for the old Yost v. Torok standard. I think one of the important places to start in this statute is to recognize that there are two subsections under which you can award damages under 915.14. They are very distinct, and each one of them has its own um, particular rules for applicability. Um, 915.14a, which is the first section, um, is what I like to um, characterize pretty broadly as a general frivolity statute. In other words, if something that, uh, if the action that's filed is frivolous or some claim or defense that's being raised is frivolous, um, then that's generally where you would find attorney's fees under 9-15-14. Section B uh, is generally the abusive tactics type statute. And again, I'm I'm painting with a really broad brush here. But the second section is generally where someone in conducting the action has uh, abused the process in one way or another, then um, attorney's fees would be appropriate. Go ahead. There's going to be a difference and it's going to be important that you that you that you realize that you have to identify the code section um, of A or B when you are making these awards. Under A, the the difference between A and B is that A authorizes an award if no reasonable person would believe that the court would accept a claim or position, whereas subsection B authorizes an award if an action is brought or defended without substantial justification or with improper purposes or with, where the litigation is improperly expanded. That sounds great. But you have a more real-life definition of A and B. And since this is podcasting, we can use a little blue language. Do you remember what you, what you told everybody that time? Well, subsection A to me is what I would call the, uh, the BS 
statute, meaning if the claim or defense that you're making was complete BS, then subsection A applies. And subsection B is basically the jackass provision, which means if you've been a jackass during some part of the litigation, then subsection B can apply. One important distinction between A and B also is if you do make a finding that subsection A applies, the, the statute says a, an award of fees uh, shall be made. In other words, it is mandatory on subsection A, whether, whereas under subsection B, um, it is discretionary. You know, the statute, the, 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 there's been plenty of cases on the statute, but one of the cases says and defines 915.14 in a way that makes some sense to me. The purpose of this statute is twofold, to both punish and deter litigation abuses and to recompense litigants who are forced to expend resources in contending with abusive litigation. As a necessary predicate to having issued the award, the trial, cut, trial court must determine that the fees were unwarranted and amassed solely as a result of abusive conduct by the party against whom they are assessed. In other words, part of this is punishment. We, we, we sort of tend to shy away from that finding because most of our attorney's fee statutes are not punishment. But in this particular one, it was always intended to be punishment, and it was, it was created in, in the aftermath of Yoast. That's exactly right. Um, the legislature, I'm sorry, the uh, courts have told us too that the purpose for 91514 is to discourage bringing frivolous claims. But, but an important distinction is it's not to discourage the presentation of questions of first impression or questions in which reasonable minds might differ. And so understand that just because someone is bringing a claim and there's never been such a claim before doesn't necessarily mean that 91514 is implicated. And um, so you have to make that analysis to make certain whether it was simply a frivolous claim or whether it was, in fact, a novel claim that had some potential merit. Absolutely. So let's talk for a minute about how and to whom an award can be made under 915.14. So you can award 915.14 attor- attorney's fees as the judge against the party, the party, the party's attorney, or both. Now, a party cannot insulate themselves from potential sanctions under 915.14 by claiming, claiming simply they are relying upon the advice of counsel. I think they they went through this in the Nuremberg trials and saying we were just carrying out orders and they're saying, no, you can't do that. If that were the case, then no party represented by a lawyer could ever be liable for sanctions. They could just always blame the attorney, cite the attorney client privilege, move along to next. So a fee award under 915.14 may be, may be made to a party, but not directly to an attorney. The award may specify the amounts due to the respective parties and can identify the parties and or counsel who are liable for the award of the fees. However, the actual award must be made to the offended party, offended party, not to counsel for the offended party. That's right. And it doesn't matter in that circumstance whether fees have been paid or whether they're left unpaid or whether retainers have been paid. None of that makes any difference. If you're making an award under 915.14, it goes to the offended party. 915.14 attorney's fees must be made, a request for those fees must be made by way of a motion. In other words, it is insufficient to simply include that in your pleadings. You must make a specific motion. And by trying to request those fees by counterclaim within within the responsive pleadings is also improper and cannot sustain an award under 915.14. 
some of the cases have allowed that quote unquote motion to be under nine fifteen fourteen to be made orally in certain circumstances, but those would be relatively unique. So let's talk about the duties of the court under nine fifteen fourteen. After a proper motion's been made, basically we have several things that we have to do as judges. Um, first, the trial court, as Wade said, is required to conduct a hearing. Uh, first, we have to make sure there's been a motion, and then secondly, we're required to conduct a hearing on the issue of whether an award of attorney's fees um, is proper. The party can waive his or her right to a hearing either expressly or by conduct, but they must be afforded that right and then waive it for you to proceed. Exactly. Now, the statute actually also says that the court can make a can make a motion for attorney's fees under 91514 or can initiate the 91514 process on its own. There's a sua sponte uh, element to that. However, um, there's still a requirement that a hearing be held. So even if you see something and you find that it's frivolous, you still have to give the parties a chance to have a hearing to make those requisite findings. Absolutely. And it's simply reversible error not to afford the party the opportunity to be heard. How much notice you give and all that has to be reasonable. That's up to you to a certain point as a judge. But you must absolutely give that opportunity to be heard. Now, once you get to the point where you've made where you've made some findings, you are required to make express findings as to what it is they did to justify an award under nine fifteen fourteen. As they as one of the cases have said, the goal in shifting attorneys' fees is to do rough justice, not to achieve auditing perfection. But you must only award attorney's fees for the improper conduct. Let me give you an example. If there is underlying litigation where you believe that one party has, has, has acted improperly during the litigation, that lawyer still was going to have to answer the lawsuit. That lawyer still might have had to have a certain amount of correspondence and with, with insurers or whatever the situation may be. So you are required as the judge for you to identify what portion of those fees were part of 9-15-14 sanctionable conduct. And and I will tell you this, folks, I will not make an award of fees unless the attorneys give me a breakdown of those fees and a very specific one. So they can um, they need to go through their hourly uh, fee statements and tell me which assessments of fees were specifically related to the conduct that's at issue under the 91514 motion, or, or I won't make the award. If I could underline, bold, italic, make this any more clear, I don't know how to make it any more clear than what I'm about to say. The trial court must identify the subsection under which, under 91514, under which they are making the award. You can't simply cite 915.14. You must say 915.14a or 915.14b. And then you must make written findings as to the reasons that you have found that that party or that attorney acted improperly during the litigation. And you can actually say 915.14a and b, but if you do that, you must make the requisite findings under both statutes or the award's going to be improper. And I just can't tell you the number of cases where a 91514 award has been overturned for failing to apportion the damages or to identify the subsection. It's just, it's, it, there's a pile of them. I haven't done, uh, you know, a, a study of the numbers, but my guess is more cases right now get reversed on the issue of attorney's fees than probably any other issue in civil litigation. That's probably true. You know, across all the different, the, all the different subject matters, that's probably true. Um, there is no cap on an award of attorney's fees by the amount actually charged by the lawyer. 
but there is a requirement that they be reasonable. We've talked about this in other contexts. You don't have to necessarily call in a third, a third part, a third lawyer or the office manager that you can state in your place that, that, that the award of attorney's fees and you know what you've incurred. But if it's reasonable, then you are authorized to make that award provided you say the code, you provide the code section, identify the conduct, apportion the conduct that is that was improper versus that which would be natural and necessary part of all litigation and then make the award. And an, an attorney can uh, testify as to the reasonableness not only of their own fees, but also another partner in their own firm, another associate in their firm, or even a pair of legals whose charges may appear in their in their billing statements. Now, there is one interesting part of 91514 that I think is one of the most interesting things of, of all attorney's fees statutes, and that is sort of the pop-up timer. <laughs> I don't remember what that game was, Tane, where you you had all the things and you never knew when the timer was going to go off. And when it went off, all the thing blew up and messed up your your game. But anyway, we'll take chess. That. No, stop. <laughs> all right. So there is one unique thing about nine fifteen fourteen attorneys fees that is very unique. Probably the only statute that I know of that that we can that you can do this. And that is that it allows for after filing or late filing of a request for an award. That's right. Uh, uniquely under uh, 911, I'm sorry, 91514, you can make the request for fees up to 45 days after final disposition of the action. Um, there's no prohibition to the motion being filed while the underlying case remains pending, but you're outside parameter of when you can file it is up to 45 days after the action. Now think of what, about what that means. The action could already have been appealed or a motion for new trial could already have been filed and you still have some additional time after which you can make the motion for fees. A voluntary dismissal of the underlying lawsuit does not prevent a request for attorney's fees to be awarded under 91514. The mere voluntary dismissal doesn't make a case final. There's no issue with the date that the civil case disposition form is filed, but that 45 days does begin to run at the time the, the court issues its final judgment and that order is filed with the clerk of court. That's right. So there are, there are some unique characteristics with respect to this 915.14 statute that just simply don't exist with other attorney's fee statutes or, or, quite frankly, a lot of other statutes that we might encounter that uh, have to do with things that can occur post-judgment. There has been a brand new case that came out since we last talked about this topic, Tane, in 2017 that I need to address. Because anybody who has some of our older materials when we talked about attorney's fees, may find that, that a lot of things have changed. Let me just emphasize, we weren't wrong. The Court of Appeals simply changed the case law on us. Sure. We, we'll ride that horse. 915.14 does apply to post-judgment matters. Therefore, it is applicable to post-judgment discovery disputes. The Court of Appeals was reversed by the Supreme Court in 2018, I believe it was, the parties for litigation can make a claim for attorney's fees under 9-15-14. So in other words, if you were sending third-party requests to a bank, for example, and the bank was not a party, you were just trying to see if the person against whom you got a judgment has a bank account, the bank can't get attorney's fees under 9-15-14. Only, only parties can get 9-15-14 attorney's fees in post-judgment actions. 
If there are problems with post-judgment discovery, they would have to use the 9-11-26 and 9-11-37 motions to compel, motions for protective order, and the related attorney's fees that is on another podcast that we've already recorded. In that same vein, Wade, under 915.14, you cannot get fees for appeals. Um, Once the appeal uh, is filed, the appropriate statute under which you would seek fees would be uh, OCGA Section 5-6-6 and not 915.14. And then if if you settle a case, unless you specifically reserve the right to pursue 915.14 case uh, attorney's fees, the settlement is presumed to have wiped out that claim. So if that were to come up as as well. So just understand that that we've talked about 13611, we've talked about 91514. The real difference between those two is that 13611 deals with conduct in the underlying transaction. 91514 deals with conduct during the litigation. If you have a pretrial conference in a case, and the resulting pretrial order does not reference a claim for attorney's fees under 13611, remember, those got to be presented to a jury, then that issue is deemed waived if that pretrial order is not amended prior to trial. By contrast, 91514 specifically does not allow a jury to make that decision, even allows you to file for up to 45 days after disposition of the case. So failure to mention that in a pretrial order, 91514, has no bearing on whether there is a waiver of that claim going forward. And this is important for all of us as practitioners because lawyers will simply sometimes, many times, make a general claim in the pleadings for attorney's fees, not citing a statute under which they're seeking those fees. And there's a great difference, obviously, from what we've told you between seeking fees under uh, 13611 and seeking them under 91514. That has to be established um, at least by the time of the pretrial. So we're going to go one more place on attorney's fees today, and that's under 9-11-37. These are attorney's fees relating to discovery disputes. Now, we have had a whole other podcast on discovery disputes, and there's no reason to go through all of that here. So let's assume, Tane, that, that we've had a hearing on a motion to compel, and we have made a ruling there, and it favors the person who sought the motion to compel. Just as an overview, do you want to talk about the attorney's fees and how you might award attorney's fees under 9-11-37? Sure. As a general rule, um, the appellate courts favor uh, award of attorney's fees under 9-11-37 for a remedy of a discovery dispute or discovery issue as opposed to 9-15-14. There have been some rare cases, and we won't go into all the specifics on those, but there have been some rare cases in which the court has allowed 9-15-14 fee awards for certain conduct during the time of the conduct of discovery. But just understand that normally if you're awarding fees for something that happened as a part of the discovery process, fees will be awarded under uh, 9-11-37. Remember that if you get, when you get into a discovery dispute, you have the, the impact of Uniform Superior Court Rule 6.4b that requires them to have a good faith effort to resolve them before they see you. And then 9-11-26 and 9-11-37 differ a little bit is that 9-11-26 allows parties to seek protective orders, whereas 9-11-37 allows parties to compel discovery. And then in 9-11-37, you can issue a protective order as a part of resolving that motion to compel. So at the end of the day, we're going to remind you here, even though it's not necessarily our topic for today, you need to do progressive discipline 
when you get into a discovery dispute, don't just start off with you didn't perform discovery correctly, therefore your case is dismissed or your, or your answer is stricken. Simply understand that one of the remedies that you have in a discovery dispute is to award attorney's fees. Those awards can be made against the party or the attorney or both. And the statutes give you an out if you want to find that you don't want to award attorney's fees. Because I think that one of them says essentially you shall grant it unless you find that the defense was substantially justified or that other circumstances make an award of expenses unjust. That's exactly right. 91137B2B is the statute or the subsection that says exactly that. So if you feel like making an award of attorney's fees is appropriate, the statute indicates that you should make them if the motion is granted. But if you think that would be somehow unjust, uh, then you can make that determination. The big point there is, though, if you're making that determination, make a finding of fact and include it in your order. Absolutely. And remember, the finding of fact is going to have to include that word reasonable or reasonableness of that award, both in terms of how much was spent, how much time was spent, how much you're awarding, etc., and the amount of time that was spent on a motion to compel instead of the case overall. You can only award attorney's fees under these code sections for things related to the discovery dispute, not because the case was unfounded or, or whatever. Those are other code sections. You have to use the applicable code section. That's right. Don't forget also that under 91137B, uh, the failure to determine whether a uh, failure to respond to discovery was willful is reversible error. So there's a willfulness component to awarding the fees under 91137 that is a, a determination that you have to make and that needs to be included in your order as well. And give everybody an opportunity to be heard. Don't just come off of, out of nowhere and just make an award. Give everybody an opportunity to be heard so that they have the opportunity to say whatever it is they wish to say. And a lot of the cases say failure to do that is reversible error. So let's wrap this up, this whole issue of attorney's fees. Um, 13611 allows for an award where there's bad faith in the underlying transaction. 13611 is really only available to plaintiffs. The fact finder, in other words, the jury usually, must find the bad faith. That's not a judge thing. 13611 fees cannot be awarded in summary judgment to the person requesting them. 13611 fees are waived if they're not included within the pretrial order or if the case is settled and not specifically reserved. Reasonableness of those fees must be found. And let's remember, fees under 915.14 require the court to find the applicable subsection. So you've got to designate whether it's subsection A or B that you're awarding fees under. Um, Claims under 915.14 can be brought up to 45 days after final disposition. Um, an award under 91514A is mandatory, but an award under 91514B is discretionary. If summary judgment is denied, it would be extremely rare to justify an award under 91514 because that indicates that uh, there's some sort of justiciable controversy between the parties that requires a finding of fact. Um, the difference would be, the cases say, if some conduct occurs after the summary judgment is denied or if there's something else that occurs, you could award fees for that. And, and also 915.14 um, allows for an award of fees against a party, against the party's attorney, or against both. 
the court can also make specific must also make specific findings of fact of what the inappropriate conduct was that's being sanctioned. The court's order must appropriately sanction. I'm sorry, apportion the sanction between the fees that were based on the inappropriate conduct and that for which would have been required in the case anyway, such as the filing of an answer. Uh, the opposing party must be afforded a hearing on the issue of the award of attorney's fees. Turning last to 9-11-37, it's, it's going to be based upon a motion to compel. Uniform Superior Court Rule 6.4 requirement of good faith attempt to resolve the dispute prior to the hearing being brought is important. There are two different code sections, A and B. A, under 9-11-37, allows an award if, uh, if the opposition to the motion to compel was not justified. B, requires a court requires that a court order be violated in both of them you have discretion whether to award them or not but if you are just at your first motion to compel you find that the opposition to that motion to compel was not justified then you can award attorney's fees if you issue an order and then they defy it and don't issue and don't provide the discovery you would then be allowed to issue an award just simply because the order was violated but the opposing party must be afforded a hearing on the issue of an award of attorney's fees. Dismissal of actions. No award of attorney's fees under 9-11-37 is available. In other words, if the parties dismiss, you cannot then withhold jurisdiction to consider an award of attorney's fees under 9-11-37. Now, we realize this podcast has lots of references, as do all of our podcasts, it seems so far, Tane, to cases and statutes, etc., you can find a written copy of our outline with citations on sidebar for Superior Court judges, and we're going to figure out a way to make it available to everybody else. But we can also get them a copy of the outline where? If they contact us where? Yeah, if you'll contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com, we'll be happy to send you one as long as you agree in writing to ignore all typos and uh, mistakes that may be included therein. Once again, if you're a judge of another class of court in Georgia or elsewhere, and if you find this to be valuable or an attorney's group or whatever, feel free to let us know how we can get you a copy and you post it on your listserv or similar website uh, server. But there's one more little thing we need to tell everybody about attorney's fees as it relates to Kel and Paget's treatment of attorney's fees. You want to tell them about the cheat sheet? Um, yeah, uh, we have prepared a chart, and by we I mean Wade, uh, that we use as a cheat sheet whenever the issue of attorney's fees arrives. Um, it, it, there is a cheat sheet for domestic relations actions and a separate one for uh, all of these other actions together. Uh, they're not a secret. We shared them with some attorneys and, uh, and uh, judges in other classes of court. But if you'd like a copy of that cheat sheet, again, let us know that at goodjudgepod.com. Uh, at gmail.com and we will try to get those out to you as quickly as we can one last wrap-up point just remember the whole issue of attorney's fees is in derogation of common law so somebody's gonna have to identify the statute there are some of our judges who have who are of the opinion they have to go searching for the appropriate statute that's just simply not the case let the if the parties want an award they need to show you the statute that is applicable and then you follow those statutes if the evidence doesn't meet it then the evidence doesn't meet it. So if you need us for anything else, contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. This is, once again, Wade Paget and Tane Kale. We are very thankful for being afforded the opportunity to uh, prepare these podcasts and present them. We are always thankful to Doug Ashworth, 
Jim Henneberger, the George, University of Georgia College of Law, Stephen Turner, and everybody else who has been a part of this project, the Council Superior Court judges, the graduates who have put up with us sort of honing this a little bit over at NJO and all the other Superior Court judges across the state who have listened. What was that word you said about me? Prattle? Yeah, prattle on, Wade. Prattle on. Anyway, <laughs> you know that these are our opinions and not the opinions of anyone else. And you can contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com if you have any praise. But if you have any criticisms, please send those to someone else. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Please contact us at your leisure. Once again, I am Wade Paget, And I'm Tane Kell. Stay classy, San Diego. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.